Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Brian Ellison. Today is Monday, March 13th. Today on the podcast, we take a good look at the Kansas City Municipal election that's coming up. Three ballot questions, three dozen candidates, and an election that's just over three weeks away. We dig into what's at stake and what you need to know. First, though, our weekly look at some of the top stories in government and politics on both sides of the state line. The Missouri Legislature is taking this week off as its usual spring break. The House and Senate will return for business a week from today. So how's it going so far? As Sarah Kellogg reports, many of the bills passed by the Republican supermajority in the House haven't gotten much Democratic support. As the 2023 session hits the halfway mark, House Minority Leader Crystal Quaid commended House leadership on how they've conducted the session so far, mentioning only a few big hiccups. However, Quaid, along with House Democrats, didn't have nice things to say about the bills that the House has passed. Some of those are one that strips power away from St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner, another placing St. Louis's police department under a state-appointed board, and a bill establishing open school enrollment. Quaid criticized those bills. In the first half of session alone, they prioritized stripping the power of voters to use the initiative petition process, dismantling the political power of black communities, and attacking public schools and their teachers. All of those bills await further action from the Missouri Senate, with hearings already conducted on a few. There will be no spring break for lawmakers this week on the Kansas side, where the GOP-led legislature is now waiting for Democratic Governor Laura Kelly's signature or veto on several controversial items they've passed, including a bill that would ban transgender girls and women from their gender's sports teams from elementary school through college. We'll be right back. You listen to this podcast every day because it's your KC local reliable news source. You take us seriously. But you know, we like to get down and we want you to party with us. Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host, Ari Shapiro, is the featured guest at this party, and it's gonna be bumping. You gotta be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org slash radioactive. On April 4th, voters in many Missouri municipalities will go to the polls to set the direction of their cities for years to come. In Kansas City, the mayor and whole city council are on the ballot, along with several ballot questions authorizing certain new taxes. Salisa Kalakal covers the city and Missouri government for KCUR. Lynn Horsley is a freelance reporter who covered City Hall for years. I spoke with both of them about who and what you'll be voting on and what's at stake. So, Lisa, we do this every four years, uh, and everybody running for city council is on the ballot. There's this opportunity for a big vote for continuity or a big vote to upset the apple cart and change up the dynamics of city government. This time around, what do you think's at stake? What are the issues that this election will really have an impact on? Yeah, I would say two things, uh, housing and development. In terms of housing, you know, we do have a bit of an affordable housing problem in Kansas City where we're just not building enough housing for especially uh, particularly low-income folks. And so that's an issue that the current city council has been trying to solve. And, you know, we'll see if the new city council will make that a priority. But I do know that's an issue for a lot of residents. In terms of development, you know, we have a lot of big ticket items coming up. We have the 
women's soccer stadium in the riverfront. We have the World Cup coming up. We have the streetcar extension. We have a potential, you know, downtown baseball stadium. And, you know, depending on how council members feel about tax incentives, depending on how they feel about these big ticket projects, it could change the direction. You know, we could potentially see a showdown, you know, about whether to give public incentives to a downtown baseball stadium. And that will just depend on, you know, who's elected to council because there are some there are some folks who are just against a downtown baseball stadium uh, altogether. Well, let's dig into those candidates here in a little bit. But in addition to all of the, the issues that will be shaped by who's on the council, Lynn Horsley, there's a number of issues that the voters will actually get to vote on directly themselves. Um, why don't we start there? Walk us through some of those ballot issues uh, that will be on the April 4th ballot. Let's start with question one, uh, which indeed many cities uh, will be voting on this issue. Yes, um, I will say that a couple of issues that have been front and center in Kansas City obviously include the legalization of recreational marijuana. And there's already uh, a state sales tax attached to that for 6%. And by the way, those sales are booming. So the municipalities want to get in on the action. They see that as a very positive revenue stream. So actually, there's three dozen cities uh, that have that a 3% tax uh, before voters, including Kansas City. And there's also a Jackson County 3% tax. So voters should not be confused. Um, They could approve both the county tax and a municipal sales tax. And if they approve all of those, then there would be a 12% tax on those recreational marijuana sales that would still be lower than in Colorado, California, and Illinois. And Lynn, remind uh, us what Mayor Lucas has said that the that three percent tax will will go toward. Yes, uh, in Kansas City, they expect that the tax would generate a few million dollars initially, and as much as ten million dollars annually after the fifth year. And that money would go for addressing key priorities: uh, illegal dumping, which the city knows is a big problem and also um, houselessness solutions and violent crime prevention strategies. So all of those are hot topics in the council elections as well. Uh, There are a couple of other questions on the ballot, uh, Lynn, and those relate to uh, short-term rentals. Remind us what we're voting on there. Yes, questions two and three are all about Airbnbs, which have boomed in Kansas City. I think there was a study that said we've got 4,000 of those added to the cities between 2018 and 2022. And in many neighborhoods, they've really been nuisances. City leader, neighborhood leaders have been screaming about trash and traffic and raucous parties and violence. And they've been pleading for some assistance. Most of these Airbnbs in Kansas City are not properly licensed. The regulation and the enforcement has been lax. And uh, questions two and three would add taxes and fees that would um, put these on par, gives them some parity with hotel rooms. Uh, These would generate millions of dollars as well. And the city says they would use that money to promote uh, convention and tourism activities. And also it would help pay for the regulators. Uh, so they could provide more effective enforcement and keep these properties uh, so that they're, they're not neighborhood nuisances. 
All right. Well, let's turn to some of the races for particular offices that will end up shaping the policy for years to come in Kansas City. And Salisa, Mayor Quentin Lucas appears headed for re-election since his only opponent is Clay Chastain, who you described in an analysis this week at KCUR.org as, quote, a Virginia resident who frequently runs for office in Kansas City and always loses. Uh, so uh, an excellent description, I think. So without a competitive mayoral race, Salisa, what do you see as the most competitive and potentially pivotal council races. Yeah, well, I'm thinking about the second at large. Um, that's where we have one candidate where uh, her name is Janae Manley. She uh, has organized with Casey Tenants in the past. She's one of two that's been uh, really endorsed by Casey Tenants Power, which is the political lobbying arm to Casey Tenants. And, you know, her priorities are very much in line with Casey Tenants. And so if she wins her race, you know, that's one person aligned with that group. Which would be a very different uh, representation from the second district, which is part of the, the Kansas City North. Land, right? Yes, yes, definitely. And then the other uh, race is the sixth district in district race. There are about five candidates in that race, so it's very crowded. Um, Jonathan Duncan is the second uh, Casey Tenants Power uh, endorsed candidate, and he's also organized with Casey Tenants in the past. If him and Janae both win their races, you know, that's potentially a coalition in council, you know, pushing uh, housing affordability, municipal social housing. You know, they're very much against these big ticket projects. In terms of other races, Eric Bunch faces, you know, a tough re-election campaign, I would say. He's going against um, Henry Rizzo, who's a former uh, state representative, and Chrissy Dastrup, who actually was his legislative aide in, uh, at City Hall for two years. Um, and as we can recall, he only won uh, his election in 2019 by about 300 votes, so very slim margins. His district also includes more of the Northland this time, so he has to appeal to kind of a different set of voters who might have different priorities than people like in Midtown. And then we have uh, the 5th District at large is a pretty competitive race, and the 4th District at large is also quite crowded. Um, we're going to see a newcomer in that seat because Catherine Shields uh, is termed out, and there are five candidates in that race, and no clear front runner uh, to me so far. You know, uh, Lynn, as you hear that list, and maybe you can even add to that list yourself, one of the things that occurs to me is that voters uh, who have to try to cast informed votes may have a really difficult time uh, keeping all these candidates straight and, and frankly, um, finding the differences between them, even if they are well-informed. I think about that crowded 4th District at large race that uh, that Salisa just mentioned. I moderated a candidate forum last week for for that race. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of candidates sounding relatively similar themes. Yes, I will say we always say every election, we say this is a crucial election. And um, that's certainly true this time around. It's very competitive. And I will say that no matter what, six of the 12 council people are term limited out. So there will be a fair amount of turnover. Uh, Mayor Lucas is going to have a new council working with him. And um, there are some council uh, candidates who are running on a platform of consensus and working well It was a coalition. There are others that are pretty militant and outspoken on particular issues. So Lisa is correct. Casey Tenants is an aggressive and in-your-face grassroots organization that's become increasingly influential. Some people say that's great and other people chafe at it. Um, almost all of the at-large races are very competitive. Uh, there's only one, I believe the third district has just two candidates. And so they will both automatically advance to the general election. 
We should say that this April 4th election narrows the field in the general election, June 20th. Each race will have two candidates and then the winner will be chosen. The third district at large race is one of those competitive races. That one features uh, uh, an incumbent, Brandon Ellington, who has sometimes been a, a, a dissenter from other council actions. He's facing a strong challenge, but but it's an example, Lynn, of one of those races where we'll really see that worked out in the general election come June. Correct. Uh, let me invite both of you to to comment on on something else. Uh, this is the first election under the newly redistricted council districts, and I wonder if that's made any uh, of the in district races, where only the voters from that district are casting votes, a little more interesting to watch. I know, Salisa, you mentioned the changes, for example, to the fourth district. Yeah, so the 4th District uh, includes a bigger part of the Northland this time. So that means for people like Eric Bunch and Christy and Henry, you know, they have to appeal to new voters who have never been in the 4th District before. Um, If we look at the Northland in particular, uh, they face very radical redistricting. Uh, Essentially, now we have like the 1st District is the northernmost council district. And then the 2nd District is the southernmost uh, Northland Council District, if that makes any sense at all. It does, but the dividing line switched from being basically between Platte and Clay Counties. They turned it 90 degrees, so now it divides almost at Berry Road or 152 up in that area, yep. north and south. Yep, and the argument was that uh, it, more, it more accurately reflected the demographics of the Northland, where uh, more working-class folks were... Uh, clustered together in the second, and then, um, you know, wealthier folks were clustered in the first. I will say the second district only has uh, one candidate, Wes Rogers, um, so that's not a very competitive race. In the first district, uh, Kevin O'Neill is the incumbent, uh, but he has to appeal to, you know, voters in another county that he's never had to appeal to before. So we'll see how that race uh, shakes up. He has uh, two primary challengers this time. And of course, we remember, Lynn, that for those at-large seats, uh, Kansas City somewhat uniquely, uh, you know, Eight, eight of the seats, uh, everyone votes on eight seats, their own in-district seat, plus the six at-large council seats, plus the mayor. So uh, all voters in Kansas City, Lynn, have a lot of influence on the entire makeup of the council. Absolutely. And I will say, you know, in the last council, there was a real friction between the Northland representatives and those south of the river. We'll have to see if that dynamic continues to play out. Um, and Salisa is correct that even though they redistricted and they thought there'd be more competitive races south of Berry Road, there's only one candidate running for the second district in district south of Berry Road. Now, that's Wes Rogers, and he does have uh, state legislative experience. Uh, I think he can hit the ground running, but the first and second district at large are both competitive, and that will really be something to watch. KCUR will be watching all of those races and ballot measures in the months ahead. You can find both Lynn Horsley's Voter Guide to Kansas City's Election and Salisa Kalakal's analysis of what's at stake in those elections at kcur.org. There's also a list there of candidate forums hosted by various groups around the city where you can meet the candidates for yourself. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Brian Ellison. This podcast is produced by Paris Norvell at KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.